Welcome back to the Campaign Builder. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we're showing you how we build a campaign from level 1 to level 20. We know that your campaign will be different than ours, but listen to how we use the idea of dynamic encounters to add unique scenarios to our sessions. We're designing encounters for a generic party of the following five archetypes. A warrior, priest, mage, criminal, and outdoorsman. And they're all about to reach level 5. They've just been captured by strange elves and their giant spiders. And they've been plotting all week to find a way to escape and get their gear back. This entire series, as well as other series on role-playing games, are available on the It's a Mimic feed on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and many other podcast apps. So don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app that you're listening to. Also, check out most recent episodes at www.itsamimic.com and feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. But that's enough shameless promotion for now. Let's get to building. So we're starting off with the idea of the fact that they're captured. And yep. it's very clear that, I mean, your party's going to spend the entire week trying to plot their way out of it. And me as a DM, I want them to be doing that. I want to encourage them to do that, especially in Tier 1, right? Oh, all through the campaign they should be. Like, I know for my groups, I have a separate chat from the DM for every single one of them. And in some groups, I have more than one chat that discludes either a certain player or the DM just for us to plot. Oh, as players. And, and also, as a DM, I have side uh, side chats with other people throughout the week in case they've got secrets or unique things that they want yep. to do themselves. So I like the idea of people being excited all week. And we'll do an episode on midweek content at some point, mm -hmm. one of our foundation episodes. But when it comes to this, I don't want it to come down to the fact that it is a single role or two. There needs to be some sort of plan that goes into it. They need to great escape their way out of this, mm -hmm. right? Whether or not they're going to go crazy, convoluted, over-the-top prison break style or... <laughs> no one's tattooing the blueprints onto every inch of their skin. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, or if, if it's just a series of magical items or spells or they're going to wait and, and goad someone into coming close to them and whatever it is. I want to reward that as a dungeon master. Yeah. They've been sitting there, it, like, imprisoned for seven days, right? And I know the, the characters haven't, but the players very much have. And so... I don't want to to punish them and say, no, that's not the right way. You need this clue and this over here and this to do that. So whatever their thing is, I want to give them a solid chance of getting out. Yep. I'm going to keep it fast and loose, but it is going to be essentially up to a handful of rolls. And I am now listening to them. They're the ones running the show. Because the only question that I think that I'm going to ask them is, how long do you want to wait before you do the next thing? Yeah. Right? When you have nothing to do but wait because you are imprisoned, what I'll do is I'll give them some sort of deadline. You know reinforcements are showing up in two nights. You have until then. At that point, escape will be obviously impossible. Yeah. But they'll have that before we get here. This is, this is one of those uh, situations as a DM when being able to think on your feet and be reactionary. This is one of those situations where it's going to be the cornerstone of your prep work for this week. You are sitting there going, trying to figure out all of the ways that they're going to get out and have a small plan for each of them. But at the same time, you know players are going to play and they're going to come up with the most convoluted backwards thing that you didn't prep for. So being able to think on your toes and uh, still make the games engaging um, and give your players different degrees of success and failure depending on what they're rolling is going to be the lion's share of your work this week. And honestly, I'm going to be doing all, all, everything I'm doing is listening for the first portion of this. Because whether or not they pick a lock or beat up a guard or whatever, it is, it's going to be a roll or two. 
Yep. There's nothing exciting there. There's nothing dynamic there. What I'm going to be waiting for is the actual sneaking and stealthing and getting their gear back. And who are the, what NPCs are they bringing with them? What information have they learned since? And so on and so forth, right? Yeah. So it's... It's not the escape itself. It's the same way that with the capture, I didn't care about them laying their weapons down. That moment runs itself. It is what leads up to it, and it's about how they feel after the fact, right? So it's it's kind of funny how I run into that in Dungeons & Dragons a lot, where the big plot piece that I'm thinking of, the big moment in time, just comes and goes. It's the reactions of the players that matter yeah. and what they're thinking of, because if... If they have no imagination, if you're sitting around with a group of robots and the only thing they can they can come up with is, I have a nail in the bottom of, of a horseshoe that I find in the, I'm going to pick the lock. Fine, let them. But how do you make that engaging? Yeah. And so you said it a second ago, like it's all about degrees of success and failure. Yeah, exactly. So when do we punish the players when the dice are at fault, right? What, when do we do that? I mean, they honestly do spend some time building their character and choosing which skills or abilities to put time and effort into, which items to grab. And, and they do the lion's share of the work, but it comes down to these little multicolored clickety-clackety pieces. Yep. And should we really be punishing them for failure on the dice? I think yes. And and <laughs> and on the inverse, like, what degree of reward do you give them as well? Because, right, like a high roll that's not astronomical, but still a high roll and still like a, a moderate success might not get them out of the jail, but it might set something in motion for them to be able to react to and roll more, you know, shiny math rocks for later. Sure. Uh, I'm just, I'm curious. I'd like to hear your thoughts really quickly on this before we move on. Do you want to roll initiative? Sure, let's do it. I got a 19. I got a 7. So how do you feel about, like, what method do you use? Just what are your general ideas when it comes down to these degrees of success and failure? So fortunately with Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, they kind of give you an idea of what the universal DCs for things should be. And as a lazy dungeon master, like I've said countless times, I rely heavily on my knowledge of what a la uh, what a standard DC is, right? So like a... DC 5 is something trivial. A DC 10 is something the average human can do. A DC 15, something a little difficult. 20 is difficult. 25 is... Nigh impossible. Nigh impossible. 30 up is impossible, heroic to your stuff. So I rely on that and then uh, using that as kind of a starting point and then depending on what they're trying to do, adding a 2 to the good side or the bad side of that DC. Yeah, the plus or minus The two. plus or minus 2 uh, just to set up that DC, right? And so if, if they're trying to like pickpocket a guard, that's going to be a little bit more difficult than search their cell for something that they could use as a lockpick, right? So um, I'm using that 5 to 20 and plus that incrementals of 5 DC chart in my head to determine what the DC is for what they're going to do. And I'm going to try to be as fair as I can. And if they hit a success, but it's not an astronomical success, that will change what my description to them of the uh, effect of their cause is. Now, there are some times... See, I agree with you completely. And there are actually some parts in the 5th edition material where you see that... If someone fails by this or more, you see this a lot in monster stat yeah. blocks, then this happens, right? Or uh, if they succeed by this much, give them this additional piece of information. That's in a lot of the modules. I, I have that with absolutely every ability check or save or anything that they got to roll. When they do that much better than the difficulty, then they will get flavor text. Yeah, It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be much better at it. You still jumped that far. You just happen to do a backflip. 
right? <laughs> There's nothing mechanically different, but you feel better in that moment, right? You not only heard the guards talking around the corner, you know what they're talking about. Yeah. And their opinions of things, right? And so it, it doesn't necessarily have any new information. Maybe they're talking about their, their different wives' cookings. <laughs> right, like, and they're sitting there comparing recipes and stuff. Chili every single night. It's chili, right? But, oh god! <laughs> but as they sit there and they have these conversations, as they're as you are sitting there listening to them, you may learn a little piece of information so that if your players are paying attention, they will say, "Hey, you know what? My least favorite food ever is chili." The next time they walk in the room, exactly. And so this just gives a little bit of advantage or a little bit of a bonus or the advantage and disadvantage system. I've said this before as well. Is the like iconic benefit of five E. It is missed if you play in other editions um, and is integral for everything. I did have one more little question before we before we move on to the next thing here, Adam. Yeah. Skill checks with crits and botches. So, so critical success, critical failure, but with a skill check. Because stock rules, a 1 is just a 1 and a 20 is just a 20 when you're doing a skill check. And it always will be at my tables. I, I still want you to add your modifier because if you're trying to do something like a survival check and you haven't put any attention into it, you have a zero to your wisdom modifier and you're not proficient with it and you roll a one, you can't possibly fail any harder. Mm-hmm. But that is no different than, let's say, my mother trying to track a deer through the woods, <laughs> right? She didn't suddenly stop and fall and impale her face on a stick. She just doesn't do it and has no idea what's going what's going on with it and even what she's doing wrong. Exactly. So, and, and I would encourage any DM out there who is maybe reacting too heavily to the botch and to the crit success. Remember, if you have a plus four to something and you crit, that's still only a 24. If you have a negative two to something and you botch, that's still only a negative one. Like, it, it you shouldn't react too hard. And, and I've been at tables where it goes both ways, where it's underreacted for the success or failure and it's overreacted for sure. And all of a sudden, the worst possible Murphy's Law thing happens there. So I agree with you, same as my table for skill checks. Ones are just ones, 20s are just 20s. Even for saves, right? It just, again, it'll be flavor text. Yeah. You didn't avoid the fireball, you get burned. You didn't avoid the fireball by five or more, you still get burned. You just look like an asshole doing it. Yeah. Right? And so someone at the table will laugh at you. Maybe somebody else says, well, we don't want you to lead the party the next time you fail in a stealth that bad. Right? And a lot of times my players will pick up on this and they will roll a one on their stealth when they're a paladin and say, oh, you know what? I made a lot of noise. I'm not rolling this again. The <laughs> next time you guys need to stealth in, I will stand back until I hear, you know, the the signal to move forward. <laughs> Screw that. I embrace it. I'm a paladin with with crappy stealth. I'm still standing in the front of the party. My party's just got to deal with the noisy guy wearing symbols for shoulder pads. <laughs> yeah, but again, that's going to make them have to to deal with Pass Without Trace or the silence spell exactly. or whatever it is. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in the, the idea of keeping the roles fair. Now, one of the issues that I have to say, my last thought on this, one of the issues I have to say is that five is easy and 10 is moderate. By the time you're tier three, that is out the window. Oh, uh, for each tier, I increase that by five. I uh, see. I increase it by three because I do want the uh, level 
of the the level 20 rogue to just be that good at everything. You have spent how many months building this character and getting to this point and and thinking about, okay, what level do I take this in? And should I focus on this skill? And I have the opportunity to put my expertise into this or this. You know what? I want to reward you. If you want to be a superhero addict, be a superhero addict. That's the point of the game. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. And when you get things like reliable talent and, and stuff going along the lines as well, like people are just going to succeed on things. And that's not bad. No, let, let them. It's what they. It's why they chose it. Because you know what they're not doing? They're not succeeding with additional uh, critical ranges on their attacks because they didn't pick a champion fighter. Yeah. They don't get additional spell slots because they didn't pick a wizard or a base spellcaster. They're not getting more heals or more channel divinities because, no, they went with an inquisitive. Yep. And so that's the kind of character they want to play. Let them play that. Give them the, the reward for choosing that character. It's what they want to do. And definitely don't brush their reward under the, uh, under the rug, under the assumption that, oh, you're just an inquisitive rogue? Then, yeah, sure, you do it. Give them that feeling of success as well, right? Not just a, yeah, you do it, ha, ha, ha. Like, actually give, put a little bit of effort because they've put in the work and they deserve that reward. And frankly, when your Dragonborn Necromancer uh, has a better perception role than your Inquisitive at level 18, then that is how good the Dragonborn Necromancer is today. And that is a role play opportunity. Exactly. These yep. are the things that we should be looking at and not punishing people because they're either too good or too bad at something. In, yep. on, in the same breath, I would say that if they don't have any... any I, want to, I keep wanting to say ranks. That's my 3.5 showing. <laughs> if they don't have a proficiency, they haven't put any time into Arcana, but they wouldn't, they're a fighter, why would they? Then don't punish them for rolling a one and not having a modifier on that. They just don't give a shit. There are things that I don't give a shit about in my life. Somebody wants to ask me about 16th century Russian artwork. I don't know. <laughs> I have put zero effort into that, and I will never know that answer. So I, you, I so, have put zero effort in, and I will continue <laughs> to put zero effort in. Right, but it doesn't mean that whenever somebody asks me a question, I all of a sudden drool all over myself, shit my pants, and fall over, right? Like, which is what I see at some tables, right? When you just don't have that piece of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. So... For the sake of being fair, let's talk really, really quickly now back to the idea of escaping because a lot of it's going to be skill checks. That's why we're yep. talking about this, yep. right? And it's not just going to be sleight of hand. It's going to be a lot of stuff besides sleight of hand and stealth. What else can we do besides that? What tools can the party rely on to help them escape? Just generally speaking, okay? So let's grab our dice. Let's roll initiative again. Let's go through this. A seven. I got a 13. All right, so I'm going to go first. When you're doing an escape, when you've already gotten past it, the first thing I want to do, and it frustrates me when I see my characters, my players at the table not doing it, take the guard's uniform. Yes, you're a little short to be a stormtrooper. Still put it on, <laughs> right? That is so straightforward. Disguise and performance to blend in, to sneak past, can be more valuable than a stealth check. Oh, 100%. And I absolutely love it. I would rely on that 100% of the time. For my character, unless I'm like a gnome and we're surrounded by Goliaths. But it just makes a certain amount of sense that if you're going to get into trying to escape, there's got to be subterfuge beyond just stealth. For me, it's it's building on that idea of subterfuge. And instead of trying to cover, I want to distract. I'm using minor illusion. I'm using major illusion. I'm, I'm throwing up illusions to cause these guys to, to react in different ways. And it's not necessarily putting up a wall where there wasn't a wall before because they work here. 
They'll know. It's putting a, an illusion of a another guard walking by or someone that shouldn't be there walking through and make them interact, but make sure it's they're not like physically trying to touch this thing, right? Using your illusion spells in an escape is the way to get out in my mind. And if you do not use your illusion spells properly, this is a moment where, they'll, where they will shine. You're doing a disservice to your illusion class, right? So use your illusion spells um, and think outside the box. Be as creative as possible because if you're more creative, I'll reward my players more if they really blow me away with their creativity with an illusion spell. Absolutely. So my second one is going to seem really straightforward, but um, perception and insight, they, they go a long freaking way for me. The idea that you sit there and you don't just have to be quiet. You need to stop and listen. It doesn't matter how quiet you are if you don't hear the guards walking down the hallway. So roll those. Dear players out there, roll those and, and make sure that... That when you do see someone, whether it's a guard dog or the guards in the distance, maybe walking across the uh, city wall between turrets or towers or whatnot. When you see that, look for their body language. Are they running? Are they distracted? What's going on? You have insight to use. Yep. So perception lets you know if someone's there and insight will let you know how aware they are of you. Because if you know that, if you know someone's coming and you know they're actively looking for you, then you're going to do a better job hiding. And so I may reward you for that. Maybe not always, but sometimes. My next is going to be really leaning in on your note-taking as a player. Um, and DMs understand this. No single guard watches the same prisoners 24-7. There are rotations. There are changes. And those changes are when... I mean, you've seen it in every single heist movie. You go when the observation is the lowest. Make sure you as a player are paying attention to guard rotations. Are paying attention to actually interacting with the guards to figure out which ones are going to be the easier ones to get by, which ones are going to be the harder ones to get by. Try to gauge their, try to gauge the people of this that you are going to be going through. It's kind of building on your last one there, Adam. And with your notes, write down kind of a checklist of like, okay, well, this time is going to be the best time to go before we get out of here. Do you want to know, do you want to know something sneaky that I do as a DM all of the time? And Dan, you're one of my players, so I'm shooting myself in the foot with this. <laughs> I have been waiting for years for someone to figure this out. Whenever there's something like alarm that is cast so that you can't get free unless you have the silent spell or something else, right? Whenever I do something like that, I always say, I always look at it. How long? What's the duration of it? Oh yeah. And then I allow the guards to let that lapse. And there's a, always a small window where that spell does not exist anymore. And I wait for the players to figure that out. And they have never done it. But as a dungeon master, that's something I do to provide opportunities for them to escape. And no one has ever, ever, ever so figured like if that you, out. So if you trigger it and, well, okay, well, we got to get the mage back in here. He'll be here tomorrow to do it. Yeah. And, and It lasts 24 hours. It's 2 o'clock today, but he'll be back at 3 o'clock tomorrow. That's That's brilliant. And no one has ever picked up on it. But as a dungeon master, I'm like, I'm giving you a fair shake with that. Yeah. Right? There will be some times where they're going to just have the... the um, and See, I don't always do it with just magic. I'll also do it with the guards uh, are... You just got in a fist fight with one of the guards. He's given the rest of the day off. And so the stable boy is going to come in and just be told to stay here. You can beat up the stable boy <laughs> if you can get your hands on him. You couldn't beat up the guard in a fist fight. No. Right? So these are the little things that I give people as, as kind of a reward. That's what I like about the note-taking. This is going to be kind of straightforward and simple, 
but you have an outdoorsman of some sort, they're not just stealthy. They're going to have something like Pass Without a Trace or Natural Explorer where they can move without leaving tracks. This is key. Don't just look at your spells and you can't even look at your items list because you've probably been looted. What class features do you have? Do you have any idea how many times when I have stripped my players of their items, they then flip to page two and go, oh, I could have done this the whole time. Dan, you had to write Indomitable in giant capital letters <laughs> at the top of your page. And I still forgot about it even at the yeah. last session. Yeah. yeah. So there, it is a thing that players do where they do not remember their, their class features. When they are strategizing for players, they should be thinking about this. You as a dungeon master should reward them. Again, they took this class because of these features. Let them use them. Finally, my last thing is the tools that you have on hand and think creatively about it, man. Like the big thing I see that a lot of players miss is no cell is ever picked clean. There's always going to be a loose brick. And this is in every single last one of my games. There's always going to be a loose pick or a sturdier piece of straw in that in that bed. You could break off one of the legs of the cot and use that as a as a club or something. There's always going to be something within reach for the players to get out. And as a DM, I'm planning those, and as a player, I'm looking for them. Okay. Because you don't have your weapons, right? And I will uh, up to and include that one guard that might keep a dagger in his like on, on the back of his belt or tied onto his leg that one of your players might notice. So if your guard is standing close to the gate and you might be able to pickpocket this thing, then you guys are laughing. You got a dagger now. It is about understanding what you have and using it to the fullest of its of its use. All right, so here's where I want to jump on because I said before, they're going to be scheming all week. You just got to let them do it, reward them for doing it. Yeah. Right? But when you have that investigation check and it's your, I don't know, your mage, your... your oh, I flavor your them warrior. to the, part, to the uh, players. Right, but they may not have the ability to do that investigation or that spot hidden or whatever it is that they're doing, depending on what gaming system you're using. And if they fail that, then what? They just never find that it's there? I don't I don't believe that. They're going to be bored. Man, I I remember sitting in high school, sitting in my chair and being bored. I knew every inch of that desk. <laughs> I had gone over just out of sheer boredom. And I was only spending an hour at a time in there. If I'm locked in for three days, roll an investigation check. You rolled a two. Well, then you, it's going to take you longer to find it, but you will find it. Yeah. Right. And so th- the idea that you are going to get it is is a certainty. It is a foregone conclusion. When you roll to see if there's anything in here, you will find this. But how long does it take? And if everyone is rolling initiative at the beginning, they're all doing their own checks, then maybe the warrior and the priest find their things long before the criminal and the outdoorsman do. And so they're not that patient. Yeah, well, th- this, so- this is you as a DM taking notes. And the, 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 the funny thing I love this is you might determine that the criminal has determined that he has this thing and you've written down, he will find it in two and a half days. But if the warrior or the mage find their thing half a day in, well, now your criminal's never going to find it because you're breaking out after that first half day. Right. And that's just it. Their roles, the better they're doing the roles, the shorter amount of time it is. But that might screw them, right? Because there might be a half carved out key already sitting there in the criminal cell. You're going to get out. You just won't get it yet yeah right and when the warrior breaks off the the leg of his cot and the mage found bat guano in the corner like all right okay we've got some spell components we can do this 
where you can beat them upside the head, then your stealthy way out is not going to work. And so this is the kind of thing that I'm really, really looking forward to with them figuring out what their plan is during that week. Okay, so they've escaped. They've gotten out. They're on the run. But now you've gone from Prison Break Season 1 to Prison Break Season 2 Manhunt. Yep. Right. Everyone's running away. You hear the sound of the bloodhounds behind you. Right. And I'll tell you this. Again, I'm going to look at Prison Break. That shit can get boring. Again, you don't say. Yeah. It's because they got they got rid of the stealth checks. They've done that already. They've yep. done their sleight of hand. What is there? What is there left to do? They're going to hole up and wait until nighttime. So how do you, as the dungeon master or the person running the game, how do you keep up that urgency? How do you get them running forward without just saying, guys, come on. Come on, guys. What do you do? Right? That's just metagame pressure. Yeah. Right? How do you keep the players and their, and more importantly, their characters panicked? Let's roll Shiny math rocks? Yep. Okay. An 18. I got a tree. I will have them overhear information, either be from the guards or from the people around their hiding spot, start saying things that would lead the players to believe that they're getting close to finding them, right? I would make it abundantly clear to the players that these guys are getting closer and will find them. No amount of hiding is going to fix this. They are going to find you. Yeah, they're combing the area. Right? Right. If they've got a, the grid laid out and they're going from left to right... And they're going to get you eventually. Exactly, right? Just to be fair as a DM, I will give my players a very rough idea how much longer they have, but they have a countdown clock. There is an end. There is a point where the front door is getting kicked in. And I want my players to know this. See, you stole my thing, so I got to come up with a new one now. But my, my number one was going to be give them clear timelines. Yeah. Do not sit there and say, oh, I don't know how long it's going to be. If you give them an inch, they'll take a mile every yeah. time. Oh, yeah. And then they'll get pissed off when the, the door gets kicked in. Well, we didn't know. No, you did know because I was clear. Here is roughly sometime within the next hour or two. Yep. So then you know, okay, we have up to an hour of safety. And then after that, we're pushing our luck. Yeah. And then behind the, the screen, I'm rolling dice. They don't mean anything. But I'm going to furrow my brow or smile to myself or whatever and watch Dan <laughs> that's, pee. That's my favorite thing to do as a DM. My least favorite thing to see as a player. Yeah. Is, is just rolling dice and then the sharp intake of breath, like the rolling. <sighs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> what, Dan? <laughs> Nothing. Don't worry about it. Yep. Yet. Worry about it soon. Just right now? No. <laughs> when it's followed by, how many hit points do you have? <laughs> That, that's a lynch. Yeah, that's how you get the urgency going. <laughs> Roll, go to the mage. How many spell slots do you have left? Oh, that few, eh? Okay. <laughs> All right. So my actual first one then, because you stole mine, was environmental factors. You know for a fact that you can stay here, but for a certain amount of time. You've escaped to the prison and you've jumped next door into the bakery. But you know it opens at dawn tomorrow and it's after midnight. Yeah. You can't stay here. And there are patrols going by every 15 minutes. So now what they have to do is pick and choose their right moment. So this is going to keep the idea that they're being consistently looked for fresh in their mind. Yeah. They're not going to be able to sit down and say, do we have time for a long rest? Absolutely not. Because at some point the baker is going to come in and maybe they decide to jump the baker. But if they do, is that going to create noise? Will there be a patrol walking by as that happens? The longer it goes, the higher risk it becomes. 
because of the environment that they're in. I never give them a storage closet to hide in and the janitorial staff is on vacation. That never happens. No. That There has to be something in the environment that's going to change it. One of my favorite things to do is, is just change it from nighttime to daytime because a lot of people want to escape at night. And players just inherently want to. Yep. And they don't really understand why, but they will it's do what the that. movies do. Yeah, it, they're used to the idea of of needing to have that prison spotlight. Therefore, it must be dark around outside, mm-hmm. which means that when they start moving, they will be easier to be seen. And I would sit there and say things like, "Well, okay, they're not going to have a disadvantage on their on their perception checks anymore. The guards won't. So the sun is coming up, guys. What do you want to do?" And just that simply environment. Yeah. The other thing that I, that really sticks out in my head is if it's during the winter, they're not going to stay still for long. They're going to get levels of exhaustion mm-hmm. just from being out there in the cold. And it won't take long. My next is maybe a little bit of a roundabout way of doing it, but I will give them an NPC and then I will take that NPC away from them. If they are running through a city and trying to get out, they're going to have someone that might be sympathetic to their cause or... Maybe it was a cellmate. Maybe it was a cellmate. Maybe it was someone who was going to get taken and brutalized or arrested, is going to get caught and is going to show the players what kind of thing awaits them if they do end up getting caught, right? I want it to be visible to the players, enough where the players can see what's going on, not enough where they get caught. This is going to add a lot of pressure to them because they're going to, they might lose a friend or a pet or uh, a momentary ally if it's someone you meet during the manhunt who takes you in out of the kindness of their soul, either through a successful perception or a persuasion check. But then that person is getting, you know, roughed up by the city guard because the city guard knows that they took you in and that they harbored you. So I'm using, I'm using the NPCs for the player's advantage and disadvantage to add that urgency. Okay, so I'm going to ramp that up to the nth degree for mine. And it's, it doesn't have to be NPCs. Right? It can just be a thing. Hey, the ship leaves at this time. If you're not on it, you miss that adventure hook. Yeah. And they just they just know you are clear as a dungeon master that ship will leave without you. I like the idea of, well, okay, uh, wait until dawn to kill their pets and mounts. Nobody likes the idea of losing an NPC, a family member, or but especially a pet or a mount. Yeah. Right. So the idea, and I keep thinking of the Red Wedding with Rob Stark. Yeah. Right. And and his, his wolf, his dire wolf is sitting there and they execute the dire wolf, but they don't wait to do it. I would drop that early before the escape. This is going to make them freaking desperate. Or as they're sitting there ready to escape or they have escaped and, and they're doing those perception checks and they're figuring it out, they hear the guards talking. We can't find them. Well, Get their their favorite horse or whatever out into the into town square. We'll flush them out. If it doesn't work after ten minutes, kill it. Leave it there. They'll come uh, to they'll us. They'll use it as bait. Yeah, that's a good idea. Right, and this is going to give them this sudden crazy amount of urgency. You, you know what? Melt their weapons down. Put them in the forge. Suddenly, that ancestral sword has a ticking clock on it. Mm-hmm. Right, and this secondary thing is going to to drive them. It has nothing to do with the escape now. It is just punishment for taking too long. Dan is giving me that look like, please don't do that to my <laughs> but Well, I'm, I'm also taking that, and just to add on, like, you could do this environmentally as well, where building on the idea of, like, setting, the guards are going to set up traps for your players that are going to be attractive. Um, and for some reason or another, I think of Never Ending Story, and I think of Artax, is that the name, of the horse that gets stuck in the bog? Yeah. I'm thinking of that where... Now you have a player character's favorite mount 
your paladin's, you know, celestial steed is up to its neck in muck. And sinking. And sinking. And now your players have to decide, do they run or do they rescue? Mm-hmm. But, it, but it could be anything. You have a piece of information that you need to get to the king by this day so that they can get, uh, they can launch their attack on the neighboring city. Or um, the evil ritual of the cultists will be finished by midnight. Yeah. Whatever it is, that level of... You see, you started off saying, oh, there's a timeline on it. I'm ramping that way, way, way up. And they should know about it even before they get captured. I yes. Think, right? Well, well, before they escape, they should know that there's a time uh, There's a time limit. Well, if they got captured, they were probably behind enemy lines for a reason. Oh, yeah. Right? And right. so if you don't have a ticking clock built into it, then you're in trouble in the first place. Well, that's one of the things, right? We were earlier talking about, like, degrees of successes and failures. If someone is going to fail slightly, I might have the weather get a little bit more intense or or the, the tone of what is going on around them get that little bit more intense as the cultists are clearly progressing in their ritual. Yeah, your bad roll just means bad luck, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe that bad luck is simply the fact that the weather turned. Okay, so now the exact opposite. How can you communicate as a dungeon master that the party is now safe once they've made it past? Because what is stopping your guys from just running naked into the woods for 450 miles? Never to come back. That was terrible. We lost all of our mounts. We missed the ship. We... we There goes my ancestral sword. Yeah. And my spell book. Yeah. F it. I'm not coming back. Right. <laughs> just keep running. Just keep running. Yeah. And that's a thing for me as a dungeon master that frustrates me because I watch players do this with rests. Oh my God. I'm down six hit points. Do we have time for a long rest? No. No, it's a short rest at best. <laughs> if you're lucky, it's a short rest. We don't have time for you to sit down for eight hours and like take a cuddly little nap with your winter blankie. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's the same thing here. At what point can you say, hey, this is a good opportunity for you to get a rest in? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's roll again because I like my dice. A two and an 18. So um, I do like my dice. Very simply, I would communicate, this looks like a good place to rest. Might be important to put a watch up, but you feel like you would be safe here for, and then I will give a certain amount of time that is not one hour or eight hours or 24 hours. You'd say dawn. Yeah, I would say till dawn or even midday, or I would use maybe the sun or a couple of hours. Something to say, hey, you get a short rest, not a long rest. Yeah, you're being purposefully vague. Yeah, but this is a good place to stop overnight. And a lot of the times it would be, this would be a good place if only, and now they have a task to do. Well, this, this is one of the things I like to do when it's it's uh, when I'm dispensing meta knowledge as a DM, is I want to be purposely vague while being meta, right? I'm not going to sit there as the DM and be like, all right, you guys have found a really good spot. You have eight hours. No, that, that's two on the nose. That's two on the nose. You have a good amount of time. And, and this is for everything, not just them finally having a spot where they could take a rest. Being intentionally vague while you're giving out straight up meta knowledge. Like the, the enemy doesn't have 18 hit points. He's looking pretty rough. He's looking pretty rough. Right. Yeah, like you, it's, yeah, this I, is, this is a skill you need to develop as a DM. This is one of the things that I do all of the time. I really miss the bloodied condition from yeah. fourth edition, which was great because if they were bloodied, it meant half hit points. But one of the things that I do is he's looking pretty rough. Oh, he's not doing so good. He's barely standing on his feet. He's hanging on by a thread. Right. And my players will slowly learn over time what that actually means. You've got some rations. You're going to have to, to really ration it out for a few days. Well, what does that mean? 
right? I'm not going to sit there and say, you have exactly these many pounds of seeds and nuts, <laughs> right? It's, that's too much. Just hit them with the broad strokes. They will figure it out. And again, it's not going to be like you have you have seven days worth of survival. No, it looks like if you, if you go easy on the rations, because who's counting this shit? Right. Honestly, it's fifth edition. We're all hand waving it anyway. Yep. You're going to start facing starvation and some real exhaustion and fatigue in about five or six days if you keep doing this. I'm going to give that to them. Now they're worried and they have a timeline. Yep. They're not sitting there counting the slices of bread in their pocket. I will do things like they hear the dogs barking going the wrong direction. They go a couple days, and I'll, I'll I'll mention like you guys have gone a few days without. You're using the idea of distance, distance, yeah, e- either and, through and, time or physical distance, right? right? Um, and I will also kind of I'm a DM who likes using music at my table, and there is a chance that I will change it to a song that is a little less hectic if I think that they're doing well, right? If I want to lower the um, urgency. Because they're doing well and they're getting to a spot where they might be able to relax. Well, then, uh, then I'm looking up the, you know, Songs of the Wild Forest rather than running the fuck away from the demon soundtrack on YouTube. You go from Rage Against the Machines to Beach Boys? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. Right? So, like, being subtle with that and, like, even my posture as a DM, when they start getting in a better spot, I'm not leaning forward. I'm not, like, active. I'm actively engaging them. But I'm, like, I'm not getting close to them. I'm not showing them by my posture that... It's an urgent thing. I'm relaxing. I'm leaning back. I'm being maybe a little bit more relaxed with the way I'm speaking to them. It's not, they're right behind you. What are you going to do? It's a, yeah, man. I mean, there's probably something over there. You could go take a look, I guess. It's, it's, it's. That's also how I'd goad them into traps, by the way. It's not, it could just be something over there. Who knows? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's all tone though. (laughs) Oh yeah. There's totally nothing there. Are you going? Means, yes, there's something there and you're about to die. No, I will straight up just say, no, seems fine. And wait. Yeah, but you keep the unblinking eye contact as just a subtle hint of don't fuck with me, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my next one is um, really straightforward for me because I'm a big fan of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, you don't say. No, and uh, one of the most brilliant things that they did in their final war-torn season was they had people on the run. And they had a couple of characters way behind enemy lines on the run. And for entire episodes, they were simply hiding in a basement. But they were relying upon the skill and and kindness of another person, a minor character who was there looking out for them. Having a friendly NPC say, wait a minute, are you the ones that they're looking for? Yeah, Screw them. Come here. I'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. This is not only a plot hook. Uh, to, it could be a trap. <laughs> it, could, it could be a trap. But how long are they going to stay there? Whatever it is, they're going to get their safety for the moment. Yeah. Right? This could go either way. But for now, uh, it, it could just be a kindly old woman looking to help him get revenge for her husband's execution six years ago. Or this is a cultist looking to feed you to some ooze he keeps in the basement. But the ooze only comes out every seven days, so he's going to keep you for seven days. Regardless, you're going to be in relative safety for a while. Yeah. Whether or not it's out of the frying pan into the fire or whatever. Or actual safety. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea of interrupting the the escape with someone saying, hey, I will help you. And if your players are desperate enough, they will be forced to accept that help. Yeah. Especially if they don't have their items back yet. My next is I will give them a victory. I will give them a combat style 
victory over their closest pursuers. And I will have it so that they might get away with it, right? So if they finally get tracked down by some guards and with with a bunch of dogs, a couple of horses, maybe the odd friggin' monstrosity that's helping them out and the parties beat them up, then I will let the party know this has been the tr- the 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 unit that has been on your tail this entire time. This is the group of guards that has been the closest to find you. You've now created space. Now, I might not tell the party exactly how much space they have. We mentioned that earlier. But I will tell them that they have some space. And I will tell them that through this victory, they could gain space if they choose to set up an ambush or set up an attack for whatever's following them. So I will give them a way to get out, uh, especially since I've played in a lot of tactical games. This is kind of my go-to. Give them a combat or a fight that will help add space. All right, Dan, we've talked a lot about the idea of escape and being on the run and success and failure. Let's get some dynamic encounters running now and let's see what we're doing um, because our party's been captured by the drow. Mm-hmm. And they don't know anything about the drow. We've not said the word drow yet. We've just talked about mysterious, dark-skinned elves. So anybody with any sort of, of experience is going to know it's drow. But you may catch some new players off guard with this. And at the very least, you're going to add an additional depth to your storyline by being a little bit vague. So let's grab our dice and let's go through it. And let's see uh, exactly what we have for encounters. Ooh, I got a 12. I got a 2, apparently. Okay, so right off the bat, I want to have the players escape. You're starting this session with an escape. You got Your first encounter has got to be an escape. The way I'm doing my escape is I'm doing an exploration to combat. I'm having the uh, convoy or whatever our players are in because they're getting transported to a location at this point become attacked by a large beast, a underground monstrosity that the players might... If they have someone in the group that has a little bit more experience in, in Dungeons and Dragons, might know is too big of a threat for them to take out. But it attacks the convoy and gives the players an opportunity to get out. So while this fight is going on, my players are sneaking and trying to get out, right? They're using this opportunity to their, uh, to their advantage. That being said, just as they're about to get away with their items and their lives, they are discovered and now have to fight the rest of the way out and break away from the drow, who might still be facing this large Blet-style threat. So uh, this is what I'm having them do. Because I'm doing convoy kind stuff, they might be able to pick the lock of this cage in the back of a wagon. Or that wagon is tipped over, their cage is knocked over, and they're able to get out and make their way away. I really like this for a lot of reasons. I think it's it's super interesting. It's a great set piece. Um, you're also establishing that the wilderness is a big deal and that maybe the drow are not well equipped to deal with something that these guys have defeated in the past. It could be something as simple as a water mage mm-hmm. right, out in the desert and these guys just have no idea how to handle it. We've run into a handful of issues in the past already, and our players uh, just might have better knowledge than the drow. It could also happen during the day because it's drow and they're going to give them disadvantage. But is this something that you do as a backup plan if they don't come back with something smart? If they have a better idea for escape, would you let them use their plan first and just say, hey, I know as a dungeon master that this is going to happen within day one or 17 hours, whatever it is. If they can't get their shit off first, then this will happen. 110%. Like this, this is the, my way as a DM to free my players. Because 
running a story as a DM where my players are just in prison all all the time isn't fun for me, and it definitely isn't fun for the players. I want to have a narrative story beat where the players escape. So I'm going to put that in. Now, if they come up with a better idea beforehand, great. I'm embracing it. We're running forward with it. This encounter may never happen. But that is okay. But that's okay. Because you know that there's a bullet out there. And if they get away, maybe they have a random encounter with whatever it is. They will run across the water mage first. Because you've done your prep work. Yep. You have got a backup encounter that won't be dynamic. It'll be pretty on the nose. But it's sitting there ready to go. It'll still be a set piece. They will look back and say, hey, remember when we had just barely escaped? And we had to silently fight those kobolds in the desert or whatever it was, yep. right? So I think that's a great idea. It could even be the our darkling friends. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, we, they pop up to rescue. Exactly. Um, uh, and if uh, if they get away free, then the darklings will be there to help them. Uh, as, as like I said before about the friendly NPCs looking yep. to shelter them, right? I thought this was almost a party politics one, but I'm going to keep it exploration to role playing. Okay. Because I want them to have to find tracks of other people. They're going to see that that the outdoorsman or the criminal is going to be able to track. And they're going to see that um, these footprints are too small to be uh, the drow, their captors. What they are is a bunch of children who have escaped. They've run away from one of the other farmhouses. And they are lost out in the desert. So not only do you have to track them down. You don't know their children. They could be halflings at first. But it turns out that they're young children. All of them are under the age of 10. There's a handful there that will just straight up be three. Are their names helpless NPC one, helpless NPC two, helpless NPC three? Pretty much, right? Like it, (laughs) it, it is going to be the most um, pitiful group of children who are thirsty and hungry and in over their heads, but they are a liability. You cannot bring them with you without compromising yourself. Can they be quiet? No. Can they sneak? No. Disadvantage on everything and negative modifiers. Do you bring them with? Do you leave them to die? Do you trust them to follow instructions? This is going to bring in a lot of party politics as well as you have the one chaotic neutral uh, criminal who's going to be there. No, slit their throats. They're the distraction. Let's go. That's uh, that's chaotic evil to me, no. but you, you do you, Dan. <laughs> Good Lord. We're going to talk about morality after this episode. <laughs> but... I, I think that sitting down and role-playing with the children and trying to be like, no, look, first you do this, and then you do this. Remember Rocket talking to Groot yep. about don't press the button? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, and you go mm-hmm. and press the button. That's exactly the, the same kind of ideal here, where is this what your players are going to be okay with at the end of the day? What choice are they going to make? Yeah. Because I believe that they should be collecting an NPC here or there, but this one should be ones that they hunt down, and then they realize, oh, shit, these guys are helpless. So for my next one, um, it's a combat to role-playing encounter where the, the the drow have finally set up an ambush. They've, they've seen where the party's going. They're going to set up an ambush to catch them finally. And as the party is in the middle of this fight, maybe their backs are being pushed against the wall. They're being harried. They're losing this fight. I wanted to have uh, some NPC. If they're above ground, it could be one of these mages or the darklings or something like that that we've encountered before. Or... If they started to maybe enter the underground area, uh, it could have been a myconid or some sort of mushroom-headed um, creature. <laughs> Go on, Dan. I just realized what I said. <laughs> yep. And it derailed me completely. <laughs> you were saying about the mushroom-headed creature? Yeah. Uh, the purple-headed mushroom-headed creature is going to uh, wrap its tendrils around the party and secret them away through a secret passage. Rescue the players from their dire situation. And now you have an ally who is going to, with his knowledge of secret tunnels or secret pathways or the ways through 
the wastelands, wherever they may be, this could even happen in a town, get them a shortcut to distance themselves from these ambushers. Okay, so for my second one, honestly, the safest bet at this point is going to be to head over to the capital. You're closer to the capital. You've been, I guess, ferried away by your little mushroom-headed friend. <laughs> and uh, and you have got some relative safety for a little bit. But you know there are a bunch of captives left behind. There are a number of people that are in trouble, including everyone at the Jingling City. This is clear why there's nobody getting through. And maybe the capital doesn't know that the merchants are, are being stopped before they can get to the Jingling City. So we have to get there. And as you get close with this... Uh, exploration to exploration encounter as you get closer and closer you see that the telltale towers that you've heard of that rise all across the horizon because this the city's the size of a country right? yeah like it's massive when you when you're expecting to see that you're not seeing it yet and you should see these these towers yeah we are now starting to get to the idea that this city has sunk we know it as dungeon masters we've been prepping for this the whole time but this is going to tie us back into the gods have left yes so as, as you get up to the city, you do get to the city walls and the city walls are tall and they're opaque. And as you get close to the gates, you see that the drow have taken over the gates. What does that mean? This city is huge. There shouldn't be that many issues. Yeah. You need to find a different way into the city. So your exploration is, is how to get to the city, but you can't get in and the city doesn't seem right. It's oddly quiet. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a resolution to this, except that something is very, very wrong on the other side of this wall. And it's almost impossible to climb. They've used magic. There's maybe maybe grease spell is permanently cast upon it okay. so that there's no way to climb it. I mean, maybe you can fly up and take a look, but there's really nothing that you can do. So what do you do? How do you how do you go about that? That's going to be up to the players to figure out. This is another thing. I don't have the answer as a dungeon master. I'm setting it up with this this idea that you tried to get to the city and you just got stopped. Yep. So uh, my last one here is uh, your party has made it up to this wall. They're they're trying to figure out their way um, into it when it is made abundantly clear to them that they have waited too long they have spent too much time in this journey they have wasted too many time too much time with npcs and everything else and finally the patrol has reached them a group of attack spiders from the drow finally swarm in and and fight them in this in this field that i would have be fairly rock like fairly craggy have very uh how, well, it's difficult terrain. It's that's, good, that's most good. everything's going to be difficult terrain, and it's going to open up an ability for the spiders to be able to attack them from everywhere. And I'm I'm mixing my variety of spideys here. I'm having ones climbing down the wall. I'm having ones opening trap doors and trying to grab things. I'm having every kind of spider I can. If there's an arachnophobe in the party, I'm sorry. Here you go. Right. I like the idea of them having their back up to the wall. Like, like they're looking there trying to find a way up and they realize that, hey, there seems to be some way up the wall here and it's spider webs. Yeah. And they're looking at it going, well, wait a minute. There's a patrol coming and they've got to like, oh God, they're getting pushed deeper and deeper into yeah. the spider webs. And it's not just like two or three big spiders. Phase spiders just whoomp into existence. Yeah. Swarms of spiders are coming out of the ground. Oh yeah. It's Everything, gross. right? I would almost make this a skill challenge. Uh, no, it very well could be. Just to, um, just to escape the spiders and cut the webs and move forward. If, if you're hitting them with an overwhelming amount of spiders, yeah, you can make this a skill challenge and make it abundantly clear to your party and say, hey guys, you ain't getting out of this. And if they stand and try to fight and they make it a combat encounter, then, then, then the, the, the patrols... 
the guards who are trying to catch them catch them or at least catch up to them and now they have it to fight the spiders and the drow who by the way like spiders i i love that i like the idea of these spiders becoming an almost a a terrain issue yep. first and then it just i, I mean you know you know when you put spider webs in a D&D game that they will end up fighting a spider. <laughs> no one comes across spider webs by accident in Dungeons and Dragons, right? That no point is the outdoorsman just walking through the woods and all of a sudden, bah, 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 it's in my face. Oh God, I walked through a spider web. That doesn't just happen without there being a big talking spider sitting there going, feed me, right? Like it's, it's Dungeons and Dragons. Oh look, dinner is here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I'm going to piggyback on that. Whether it's been a skill challenge or a combat, it has not gone as well as they wanted to. There are failures in skill challenges and combat makes noise. And they've got webs all around them. They've got a wall they can't get over. Shit is hitting the fan and all of a sudden, boom, fucking fireball. Out of nowhere and it blows up the bad guys. And this is going to be my uh, my role play to exploration here. Okay. Because... The mage, our good friend, the archmage back from the Jingling City, noticed that they were not coming back quickly. And so he's he got concerned. Something told him. He says, something told me to come with you. He literally means something told him because an imp did. Yeah. But he will imply that it was just a strange feeling he had and he's a diviner and so on and so forth. And then he is going to take the entire party and he's going to step ethereally through into the ethereal plane, walk to the other side of the wall and then bring them back. Hmm. And he is going to be, it's a little bit of a Deus Ex Machina there, but while you're in the ethereal plane, you're going to be able to see that um, that it looks all twisted and different. There are no stars in the sky, right? And it, this is going to be your chance to show that whatever has affected the gods is like, it covers the entirety of existence. Every plane is affected. And, and I like the idea of there being smoke rising from this massive hole in the ground because there was some sort of bomb explosion, something, fires are raging, and you can see it in the ethereal plane, but it does not exist in the prime material one, which goes to show you that because this is a mirror, um, it's like kind of think of the um, the upside down in yep. Stranger Things, right? So because it's close, something happened, but it happened in the ethereal plane and it echoed into the prime material plane, not the other way around. That's the hint I'm dropping now. Because, okay, cool. Because remember, the mage, this archmage is the one that destroyed the city. He is the one that is at fault. We just don't know it yet. So while he's sitting there going, I wonder what could have done this to even affect the ethereal plane. Well, he just walked you into the ethereal plane. And he's the only one you know that can. Yep. So he's the only suspect. Will your players figure that out? But here's my favorite part about it. In the ethereal plane, I would have them see that there's some sort of small lizard or cat or something. Maybe a bat. I, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with a bat because it's the imp. And this is the imp's form in the ethereal plane. Mm-hmm. That is following them. And you can almost see it. And when you flip back into the prime material plane, it's not there. Because, of course, it's invisible. It's invisible. Yeah. So cool. So we're laying all of this groundwork ahead of time. And everyone's going to be like, oh, that, that was weird with the bat. Is that something we fight in the ethereal plane? But no, it's hiding from you as well, right? So this is when they're going to get totally blown over by the fact that there is a hole so large in the, in the ground that entire cities, this is a sinkhole so big, entire cities would have been enveloped because this is a megapolis. You cannot see the other side of this hole. No. It is so wide, it reaches the horizon. And it's so deep. We have to remember that we were saying you could see the towers from the city from days away. And now you can't. And now you can't. So not only is it endlessly wide, it is now deep. 
as well. Miles deep. And I think the last thing that I want to to impress upon the party here is, as you are standing there with the mage and whatever NPCs you manage to bring with you, the mage is going to have godlike powers. His ethereal step will not be the one in the player's handbook, right? He's got crazy, unique superpowers to be able to do shadow magic, however you want to flavor it. Yeah. Right? He's And plus, remember, he's powered by the nine hells. Yep. So while you're all standing there looking down, you see the literal thousands of drow marching climbing up out they have moved buildings out of the way to make a super highway while you were dicking around stopping riots and having trials and exercising priests they were going to war yeah this is your opportunity to pull the saruman standing at the top of the tower looking down over his uh, masses of orcs and goblins assemble yeah the big difference is saruman is standing beside you and you don't realize it yeah So do we have any final thoughts before we wrap this episode up, Dan? The only thing I would say is when it comes to having urgency and having a chase in your game, try your very best as a dungeon master to make sure that lasts one session. Well, yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, now that you say that, go back and listen to the episode about a chase because now you're just seeing it from the other side. Exactly. Right? Now you are on the run. You're not the hunter. You are the hunted. You will do yourself a disservice if you have this going multiple, multiple weeks in a row because at some point... Your characters are just running away every single session. When you're dealing with the attrition of the abilities that you have and not having a lot of time to take rests and having that sense of urgency and having that heavy metal music playing in the background, event it just gets exhausting. So try to make sure that this lasts a session, maybe two if, if you could fill it out enough. Um, and and then move on to the next thing. It is time to not being not be the ones who are being actively chased right now. The other thing that I would say, my last thing, is we are gearing up to the um, to the end, yep. right? This is level four. We know that traditionally speaking, this is the end of tier one, um, and you're getting you've got your first ability score increase or your feats or whatnot. You guys are superheroes already. Yep, you're not gods yet, but you will be, right? And so as you're looking at your party, at your players, and you say, okay, look, we're 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 epic level. You know that they're going to have this big betrayal coming up. It is time for them to see all of this escaping and give them a series of wins. They just lost when they got captured. We talked a few episodes ago about catharsis. You need to give them these these feelings because maybe they didn't recover their items during their escape. Maybe they lost a beloved NPC. We know that they've got heartache and torment in the future. This needs to be one of your gleaming... Uh, bright sessions where they walk away going, we're really good at this. We are really good. My, my dice and me can solve anything. Yeah. And they should walk away uh, really patting themselves on the back. I mean, at the end of this session, they level to level five, don't they? Yes. Yeah. So as your party is leveling, you want to be able to give them that sense of completion as well. So now that we've escaped and discovered that we're behind enemy lines and the shit has hit the fan, it is time to stop and regroup. And this is going to give us the chance to let that impending panic attack subside a little before we continue further down this plot thread. Tune in next week when we talk about how to use skill challenges and combined roles to bring a party together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit, and more. And please contact us at info at itsamimic.com because we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Dan. I'm not here. I'm escaping. And I guess I'll be back next week with more prep work.
Did you, while I bring it up, did you see that thing on uh, fucking Instagram that I posted? The fact that you're a fucking psychic? About what? You straight up called Icewind Dale would be the next one. Yeah, right? Like six episodes ago. I know. And then they released that thing and I'm like, fucking Adam. <laughs> it, it's straight up. I was like, all right. I now think I understand Adam a little bit more. Because he's got a secret source of information that he's holding to his fucking chest. No, man. It's patterns. Patterns, patterns, patterns. It's what I do. I watch people and I watch patterns. And then I sit there with my Asperger's and I lose my shit, right? Like, that's, that's what I do. Okay, bye.